Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. This is Sean Martin, and you are listening to a new Redefining Security episode here on ITSP Magazine. And as you know, this channel is all about finding the value in what we do in information security and figuring out how to operationalize all the stuff that we can get our hands on. Um, some of it is valuable, some of it may not be. Uh, we're going to look at threat intelligence today. And uh, this this conversation was inspired by uh, a tweet that I saw from Andy Piazza and uh, a reply that I saw from Rebecca Ford. And I thought, let's bring the two of them together. And they said, yes, let's have a good chat about thread intel, the value or, or the misperce- misconception of what it actually brings. And uh, before I get into it, quick word from each of you, what, uh, who you are, what you're up to, as much as you'd like to share. Rebecca, you first. Hi, thanks for having me and Andy on the show, Sean. This was a a real privilege to be here. Um, Again, my name is Rebecca Ford, and I run the CTI program at a Fortune 50 company in the media and entertainment industry. Love it. And Andy? Uh, My responsibility is a little bit smaller than hers. Uh, I'm Andy Piazza. I'm the chief evangelist for a, a small government contracting company here in Northern Virginia called FIA. I'm also a threat analyst during the day with some government clients. Um, so I, I always like to stress that I'm on the consumer side of Threat Intel. Why I write Intel products, it's usually just for my immediate client. Um, and I think that's important as we talk about Threat Intel here later in this conversation, of which side you're on, because producers, right, the fire eyes, the crowd strikes, the vendor side, they've got a lot of different requirements than what we do on the consumer side and uh, slightly different processes and <laughs> need, needs for people. So I think that's important. 
Yeah. And uh, let's just get into it because I think that there's no one size fits all. And I think you, you started to touch on it here, Andy, that uh, we're not in a place where we can eliminate the human. And uh, I think that's where a lot of our conversation is going to be today. And I'm just going to read the, the tweet um, in its full. I'm trying to say this in the most non-hipster way possible. <laughs> I, only, I only want human curated threat intel. Automated feeds are killing the CTI community. Automation should be how we share, not how Intel is produced. And I, I mean, there, there's a lot in those few words. Um, what's in the feeds, how, they, how they're created, who's using them for what purposes? Is it a, an automation on the other end that's digesting it all and figuring out what it means or is there a human? And clearly if you're a big company with a lot of money to spend on the feeds and then systems to digest and analyze those feeds, that's one scenario, but to your point, Andy, uh, the lower down the stack you go in terms of maturity and size and funding and all the other stuff, uh, it may be overwhelming, and, and the humans that are using it might be overwhelmed as well. So what, what inspired you to put that tweet out in the first place, Andy? Um, you know, the, the specific example um, was just general frustration, I, I find, with, with threat intel um, on the consumer side. There is a lot of great stuff that's going on in, in the vendor community. They've done amazing things to prevent us from having to copy and paste indicators in 2021. Um, I appreciate automation. Like there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing with it. The problem I have is um, a lot of the intel, we start looking into the feeds, right? So one, one of the clients I have is at, and I've, I've done this at a few, um, they've asked us to you know do a threat feed assessment. We've got all these things turned on. Am I getting any value out of those? And even if they're free, right? They're still costing you time and money. So. You know, one assessment we did, we, uh, me and a buddy looked through all these feeds um, and we were, realized we're only able to like keep up with like 15% of the alerts that were actually being generated from those. Um, of You know, thousands and thousands of events, we can only look at about 15% of those. And of those 15%, like I, I forget what it was, like three or 4% were actionable and we, we could send up to the SOC to, you know, go chase down further. Um, the rest of them were actually getting blocked. So that was just on us, not, um, we were generating alerts from stuff being blocked, which is important information for the threat intel team, right? To kind of piece that together, but probably didn't need the time of an analyst to look at it day in and day out, right? That's something we could have um, curated. So there was a lesson learned there, you know, with our automation integration is think through the process, right? If something's being blocked, you probably don't need an alert on it. You can go dig on it um, later. But yeah, what I found was we started looking at these feeds is, uh, you know, a lot of them, even from really great sources, a lot of great vendors, they put out a lot of really good context, but not at the indicator level, right? So it's depending on the sharing format you're talking, there's a description field. Um, and a lot of times those feeds are blank. And I don't know if that's necessarily from the true source, right? As the vendors putting it out, or if that's something that's wrong. Sometimes it's, uh, there's some wrong integration with, with the um, threat intelligence platform, right? Or a tip. Uh, and so it's just starting to dig into those and going, what the hell? Why are we sharing so many things without description level? And even if you go to your, your favorite blog and you say, these guys are the example of, of threat intel, I guarantee you go through this amazing report and at the bottom, they just dump the indicators and there's no correlation. <laughs> you know, you might get the malware name um, or, you know, it's super sexy now. They're, they're mapping them to MITRE ATT&CK, which I super appreciate. Um, but the reality is the, the context of this email delivered this file attachment or URL when it detonated, it did these things to C2. That's just back in a threat report. 
So when that alert goes off in a sock, an analyst is spending, you know, 15, 20 minutes to trace it back to the tip, go look it up in the tip and go, okay, it came from CrowdStrike or FireEye or whatever, and then go read the threat report. Like we have information sharing standards around like sticks and CS open CSV and stuff or open uh, IOC that says, you know, put that stuff in the description field, right? We, we make the fields available. We don't really enforce a standard there, of course, because it's all people buying into this open standard, but that's really where that stuff should be. So when that alert goes off in your seam, you know, the SOC analyst can see, oh, this C2 URL, they should be able to read it, you know, contextually all the way back to the email. Um, and I just think that as a, a community, we're kind of failing each other when we're sharing stuff. It doesn't matter, you know, if you write something really, really cool in that blog report, if it's not going with the indicator into the seam, you know, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. And that, that's where a lot of that frustration originally came from. Yeah, and, and Rebecca, you, you, you kind of did a, a full circle in your tweet, um, <laughs> no, noting that, that and I think you're highlighting some of the things that Andy's touching on as well, the, the language and the, and the data that's in it. I think once I, right? <laughs> I think once I wrote my response back, that's when I'm like, oh wait, I'm already saying everything that you're saying. I'll post it anyway, you know. Um, but uh, Andy, I did check out your um, Medium post. I think it was on how to evaluate threat feeds. Um, so maybe we could um, uh, point that out later on where people can find that. But I totally 100% um, agree with Andy. If I were to give a bunch of IP addresses to our threat hunters, they're going to, I'm going to get a verbal, you know, like, what is this? What am I looking for? And it's like, oh, I don't know. These are just a bunch of IPs. You know, it, it really leads to a lot of frustration for, um, like Andy said, all of us. It's like, what is this? Where did this come from? Is this you know, a C2, is this just a hot point? You know, we need all of that information and the automated threat feeds aren't providing that. And, you know, it is a letdown. I'm not gonna share a bunch of IPs with my collaboration partners because without that contextual um, information, you know, it's just not, it's just not gonna work for us. Yeah, and I, I wanna stick with you for a moment, Rebecca, because the, I mean, I've been, in this space for many, many years, too long to, uh, to point out. Um, it, and it's always been, like come from the vendor side originally, and it's always been generate more data, collect more data, bring it all together. Uh, and with that, we continue to build, create more noise and the likelihood of false positives and uh, incorrect decision-making or running off chasing something that that is not as high a priority as something else that's clobbering us over the head at the moment. And so in your tweet, you said a feed is not Intel. And I'm wondering how, and to Andy's point here as well, how do we translate the data into something that's meaningful? So you, to your point, a list of IPs means nothing unless there's some context or some other data. So I, I, are, we, are we just shooting ourselves in the foot by generating all this info and hopefully, hopefully the, the humans on the other end can do <laughs> I think I think that's a very loaded question, right? Like I don't have, all, I don't have the answers, but I do know that the SOC has what we call, you know, alert fatigue. Um, if you guys are only looking at 15% of all the alerts, what's going on with the other 85% if I did the math right. Um, but, 
you know, after a while, I've, I worked in a sock, you know, way back in the day, and you just see, and this was, you know, 15 years ago, all the alerts back then when we didn't have all those big data feeds. Um, and you just kind of picked and chose what you wanted to look at. And, oh, this looks like it might be interesting, but it may be completely, you know, benign or or whatever. And I think that's why bringing in that human side to correlate all those data points, you know, track a campaign um, and still have access to that data, but you have to make something actionable. Like I love writing reports that are basically the bottom line up front is this is cool. This is cool, but it has no relevance in protecting, you know, the network. So I think there's just a lot of things that are are going and we don't have, you know, a standardization um, of of information and information sharing. Yeah, I kind of spoke on that earlier. We we talked about how it can be shared technically, but not like minimum standards for sharing, right? We, we'd say, this is the technical language, Dix Taxi, here's how to move the data, but not hey, stop putting out crap, right? And a lot of folks are, and that, interesting enough, when we went, we did a threat feed assessment recently, um, you know, first, you're gonna buy a new tip, that's awesome. Your vendor's gonna give you a list of feeds you can turn on. That's like your menu, like you go to a restaurant, you don't order the whole menu, but well, as much, you know, maybe a dad joke's in there that we wanna order the whole menu, but you don't ultimately, right? Don't turn them all on, right? And that's ultimately what almost every client I've been to has done. They've turned on all the feeds that the, the vendor off, offered them through their platform. And then we go back and we, we start evaluating them. One of them, um, you know, I won't name the feed, so I'll probably murder the pronunciation anyway. Uh, we actually went to the website. My buddy like hits me in chat. He's like, dude, this one literally says, this is known to be, cause a lot of false positives and isn't a, a good source of Intel. And we had it not only coming into our tip, but integrated into generating alerts. We're, like, oh yeah, we should probably turn that one off, right? So actually doing a threat feed assessment, uh, to Rebecca's point, I wrote about that earlier, uh, maybe last year, losing track of time now. Um, but you know, actually go to the source and understand what the source is. Some of the feeds might not have a description field, uh, but if you go look up the source web page, it's like, hey, this is a honeypot for X malware, or you know, this is scanning data looking for specific CVs then maybe you can just, you know, write a one-line script to add that description. So when it goes off in your seam, the SOC analyst actually knows what, what's where it's coming from. But you actually have to do that lookup first. Don't just tell your vendor to turn on all your all your feeds because you bought a new shiny tool. Like, you're going to kill your team. You're just going to drown them. We have to do due diligence, right? So, and, and that's exactly what I was going to go to next is who's responsible for saying we should bring in a feed and analyze it and who's part of the decision-making process there? My experience has been everywhere I've been, the, the threat Intel team did the initial alerts, which we've always kind of joked was, uh, you know, if you got three tiers in a sock that makes us tier 0.5, um, <laughs> cause we look at them first and then we would escalate them to tier one. And, um, but I've seen organizations as, uh, you know, where the, the threat team will put the indicators into the tip, uh, which will get forced over to Splunk and then tier one just generate, uh, works on the first alert. So there's some collaboration there. Um, same thing with tuning right of, of IDS. Hey, this thing's been really loud or this signal in, in our EDR has been really loud. We should tune this thing. So you might have some type of equities vote. Um, the biggest thing is, you know, the ability to turn something off quickly is, is a lot better. You know, being responsive because we've we've turned on feeds and had, you know, 10,000 false alerts in, in a matter of hours. So um, having a team that's responsive to turn off is a lot more important than turning on. That's a great point. That's a great point. I know that um, one thing that I've seen in the past is 
the threat intel team and hunters and anomaly detection and the SOC all have to have a really good um, collaboration, a really good, you know, really good lines of communication. Because if you don't get any feedback from the SOC, you're just like, well, this must all be I'll be good, you know, and I think um, there have been times where the socks just like screw that I just don't want to cause any more work for myself. So I'm not even going to provide any feedback. What I usually do is if there's a known big campaign going on, go directly um, to the sock or directly to the hunt or whatever and say these, this is the report. This is important. It's, you know, it's going after a lot of people in our industry or whatever. Um, but I think you have to make those relationships really work. And, and that's time consuming too. Yeah. And then uh, speaking of the, the relationships and I'm, I'm thinking operationally here now, um, what, what do, what do those conversations look like? Sound like, are they, are those weekly, daily, monthly, quarterly? Wait, how do those, how do those take place? Um, in my my previous organization, um, our team was kind of large. Uh, the threat team was relatively small, but the team was large, and we were separated over uh, two locations, um, a couple different states away. And whenever we would have, we'd have daily meetings in the stand up sync, but people obviously wouldn't share. It was mostly the managers kind of going over the ticket list. And I found when we got forced out to COVID, we actually shared a lot more and inter mm -hmm. inter interacted a lot more. Um, and part of it was I've got my own camera here and I've got my own voice here. I'm not around a conference table with 15 teammates. And so we could very quickly fire up a one-on-one, -on -one, um, whether it was just in Teams chat or actually dialing into a Zoom call or a Teams call. And I found that the collaboration actually skyrocketed because there are a lot of SOC analysts who are not going to say anything in front of their leadership mm -hmm. and they're not going to say anything in front of 10 peers because a lot of organizations, it's their first opportunity in security, you know, if they're in tier one. So they're not going to want to ask dumb questions, kind of, you know, put dumb in quotes uh, around the conference table. So encouraging people to to have those conversations, those one-on-ones, um, you know, linking them up with, with senior analysts, doing some kind of, you know, regular training sessions. Uh, we would do kind of brown bag training sessions, make it open invite. Um, my old role, I was actually a threat analyst. Uh, bringing in indicators, writing threat products, and threat hunting. And so I would start taking analysts on what I call threat hunt safaris. So if I was going out on a hunt, I would actually just share my screen and, and we'd either have the audio bridge open or just chat. Um, and that created dialogue because, you know, people could see that I made mistakes and that, you know, I had to ask them, hey, how would you approach this problem? Where could we go look for this thing? Um, so I think it's the shared experiences and having the one-on-one -on -one dialogue that, that's been really good on my end. Yeah, I think our collaboration um, opportunities have really skyrocketed as well. Um, and one thing that uh, you kind of touched upon, and I know this doesn't have to do with indicators, but <laughs> I think um, that mentorship, that making f the junior analysts feel comfortable, um, our meetings in the past have been just the boots on the ground, just the worker bees. So we don't have to deal with the noise of the big bosses who already don't understand and we don't have the time to you know, to handhold and give them those opportunities and then ask those questions that also remind us like, um, well, that is a good question. I wonder what happens after this gets dropped. You know, like uh, it really, um, it, it really helps to, you know, let them open up, right? And feel comfortable asking those, um, those questions without, without the big bosses there. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, go ahead, Andy. I was gonna say one of the, th the important things in Threat Intel, right, is building up relationships with our stakeholders. And 
oftentimes we think of, you know, briefing the CISO, briefing the CIO and briefing up. Well, the reality is when we're talking security, especially with cyber threat intelligence, your most important stakeholder and probably your most important uh, decision maker, and I love telling this to a CISO or a board, isn't your board, it's the SOC <laughs> analyst who says, is this a false positive in 30 seconds or less, right? So having the relationships with them that they're comfortable pinging us with a unofficial RFI via chat, instead of asking, going through some crazy RFI process, hey, can you take a look at this? I don't know what this means, right? So building those relationships with those stakeholders is gonna be critical. Like they have to be comfortable, you know, asking, you know, how do you look this up? Asking those kinds of questions because they really are your decision makers of what gets escalated. And as a threat intel analyst, I often am on the front end, bringing the threat intel in, but I'm also on the back end helping with intrusion analysis. If something gets declared an incident, uh, intel support usually automatically gets applied to anything that's declared as an incident. So I kind of have to eat my own dog food, right? And I want to make sure that 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 whole process end to end, we have a good relationship with those folks that they know what tools we're looking at. We're deduplicating efforts, right? You know, like go into a ticket and see they already looked up all of the sources I would have already looked up, um, that kind of a thing, right? So they're a really important stakeholder, um, especially when you know the fertilizer hits the ventilator and you've got an incident, you wanna have good relationship and, they, and know what each other's processes are so you can lean on each other. Yeah, and, I, and so to this point, I, I wanna dig into the, the, the language and the conversation, because you said, the, the SOC is the main stakeholder. And then separate from that, you, you said the CISO and, and the executive team and the board. And I'm wondering, there's a layer in there, typically the line of business. And I, I often like to look at this layer uh, because that's to me what really matters uh, is keeping the business running safely, securely without fraud, <laughs> right? So I'm wondering how the the feeds and the intel that you get and the analysis that you do uh, how do you get the context of what matters for the business in cti from a sector uh, perspective from a threat perspective what, what are some of the things you deal with my experience has been uh, trying to understand the business um and business processes and you know oftentimes we talk to threat intel folks the first word we're going to come out of their mouth what are your requirements right what are your threat intelligence requirements I don't like that approach. Um, I would much rather go, you know, because one, you ask a business person that they're going to be like, I don't know what you mean, or I need a new database. I don't know what you mean by threat requirements. Um, you know, what one of the business units I previously supported for some uh, high priority stuff, they did some things related to elections. Uh, they had a website that was election related that people could upload files and to get sent to the company. So it was like, hey, explain that to me. You have that open to the whole internet. The only reason we were informed of it at the time was there was a foreign email address that edited a dot other country. And that's the only reason like, hey, we should probably tell the threat intel folks about this. And so we started asking questions about this process, like what happens to that file? Does it go to the end user and they open or detonate them? I mean, open the file on their computer or is it sitting on a server? Like, and so we could start asking those kinds of questions, like what does your process look like for that? And understand that and so me as a, a threat hunter i was able to go and go look at the server to say you know are, where are these files do we see any weird c2 going out from these files being opened um, but we could also um, put together a, a quick briefing and give them an uh, overview of um, you know how threat actors previously abused such things right uh, we could we worked with our um, website protection team to make sure that that website was behind the web application firewall and go 
just review that website to see if anything weird fired in, in the waft, right? Um, so it actually just a conversation of, you know, wait, wait, what do you guys actually, what are you using that website for? Oh, pe- anyone from the internet can upload a file to that? I should ask some more questions. I never, you know, we never talked about, uh, you know, we didn't use kill chain, we didn't use miter attack techniques. It was just a, and then what do you do with it? And then what do you do with it? And just having a normal human conversation, I'm cataloging those things in the back of my brain as we go through them and, and what hunts I need to go on and other actions, um, you know, make sure the malware's uh, uh, signatures are updated or the antivirus uh, signatures are updated on those servers, that kind of a thing. But we're just talking to a business. It's just, oh, that's really cool. What else do you do? Right. And just being interested in actually what they do. And you'll understand your threat scape, uh, threat landscape a lot better than, you know, spending four months in trying to figure out what your IP space looks like. Yeah, I totally um, concur with that. I think um, depending on what what line of business, you know, you're do, if you're dealing with um, or the retail side, you know, your customer data is very important. PCI DSS compliance, you know, SOX compliance. Um, but then you may have another um, business line that is um, touristy, right? So we want to know what threats there are to cruise lines or ports or um, air travel. You know, there's just really understanding, you know, what what it is that keeps those leaders up at night. Is it sending out a news crew to Afghanistan? That's probably going to keep me up at night, you know. Um, but, you know, just really learning kind of what you said, Andy, about just like, so what do you do? What's, you know, is there something new, some new technology that you're implementing? Oh, man. And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what that is, but I'm going to find out and 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 talk to people, find out what are their um, mitigation measures if something were to be compromised or 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 something like that. So again, just talking to them like they're regular people. And again, my question is like, what keeps you up at night? And I'm going to, I'm going to bring it full circle as we get close to the end here. And, and I'm going to bring it back to you, Andy, the, the, the value of the community, and then perhaps an extension of that beyond just the, the free for all community, but any organizations, because the, the catalyst of this is, I don't want a computer generated feed. I want human content, right? Something that somebody's thought about or seen. And that kind of goes to Rebecca's point. Something in the news may or may not line land in a feed, but that could trigger something for Rebecca and the team to say, this is important for us to at least understand what's going on so we can fold it into our risk profile and, and figure out what to do. So this is driven by a tweet. The community is very connected in Twitter for good, for good or worse or whatever. Um, how do you leverage the community and other entities uh, for sharing information like this, where where it's not just a feed? Yeah, I've um, I've actually was previous to a couple of years ago. I was at a client. We were doing um, information sharing with a few hundred private sector organizations, and I saw it work really well. Most of it was email based, unfortunately, and there's still a lot of email based information sharing. Um, there's the official organizations everyone's familiar with, with, you know, the ISACs. Um, there's some unofficial organizations that, um, you know, I would violate a first rule of something if I mentioned, right? Um, that, that folks are just, you know, they they worked with each other. They've shared with each other in previous organizations. And those relationships are really important to maintain. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, information sharing you could see, you know, going across the board for both major and, and minor things. Um, the big thing I found, though, when I was... Uh, certain government information sharing program, you know, we 
I would stand up on stage and be like, why aren't you guys sharing? Your numbers are really low. You know, there's 200 companies here. And then I would talk to people, you know, maybe go ha have a happy hour or some snacks afterwards. They're like, oh, you're pretty cool, man. I'll share with you, but I am not sharing with the government. And I'm like, cool. Here's my email <laughs> address that ends in .gov. And they would start sharing Intel with me. But they want to know who's on the other end of that email. They don't, they want to know it's not a, you know, a black box email address that nobody's responding to, like, you know, you, uh, you know, some type of customer service, right? They want to know who's, who's the person on the other end that they've looked them in the eye, shook their hand and that they trust that individual and if any information sharing program that is redacted or anonymous, anonymized, people are not going to be sharing good stuff into that because they don't, there's no trust that, that there's going to be accountability if there's a violation of that trust. Right. So, um, I think it's absolutely important to, to, you know, by name sharing, um, especially if, if you get into some really sensitive stuff, right. Yeah. FS ISACs, a, a great example of probably one of the better ISACs and more mature, you know, those are a big competitor banks, but they have to share threat Intel because the threat actors are doing similar things across the board. And I've seen it in, you know, in, in previous examples where we would share something from the financial sector out. Um, and it actually showed up in the energy sector and the energy sector folks came back and said, Hey, I saw that. And we actually got the stage two malware and here's that sample back. And so that sharing from a threat Intel perspective is really awesome. You might get additional insight from malware and stuff, but it's also important to share because you know, you may think you're being like super targeted. Well, if you're not talking to the rest of the community, you have no idea that 200,000 other people got it, right? Um, so I think that information sharing is actually really good to fill in the threat intel uh, picture, right? Who's being targeted? Well, you have to talk to other targets to figure that out. So um, I'm a big fan of it. I just think that you, you have to know who's behind it, right? Know the names of the folks, where they're at um, and, and build up that trust um, because they are, you know, they are humans and they're gonna have trust issues and, um, Nobody wants to share into you know an email address. They want to know who's there. I think um, a lot of the big bosses think that we're sharing the secret sauce of our industry. Um, I'm not sharing you know the script of an upcoming film to my threat intel collaboration partners, although they do ask sometimes. But um, you know, again, knowing who knowing what to share and what not to share. I came from, you know, 10 years at the DOD. Um, so I'm, I'm in that mindset. I know what to share. I know what's classified, not classified, you know, things like that. Um, but again, you, you build up that rapport. Um, I'm a real people person. I'll talk to anybody, you know, but it takes time to, um, to curate those important relationships. And then when you can say, I just saw this activity, what the heck is this, you know? I don't know. Um, and, you know, people get excited when they can share information, right? Like, oh my gosh, I just looked at this domain and it was also, this guy also registered these four domains, you know, like it becomes a group, you know, we're all in this together against the bad guys. And I think that's, um, that gives you that feel good. Like you are contributing not only to your own network security, but you're helping everybody else. Yeah, I'm really glad you, you took it there. And, and maybe just a, a quick word from each of you in either something executives should know they can expect from a good, good threat intel team and data <laughs> or a misconception that you, you think should be uh, adjusted. Pick, pick one or the other. Um, you know, kind of to Rebecca's point, you trust us with the security of your network 
you should trust us to be able to decide what to share. Um, I've seen sharing programs get killed a thousand times because we'll write up a basic SOP that says this is what we'll share and not share. And then it goes and sits with the lawyers and the board for years and years and, and literally just never gets approved. And it's killing them because nobody wants to share with us unless we're willing to share too. So um, if you trust me and have admin credentials in your network, you can trust that I can represent you having a conversation you know, with another organization. Like we are literally hired to do these things. It's part of why you, you hire us. Give us that trust too. And I think for me, um, I, just because you have a tip doesn't mean there's anything to it, right? It needs proper care and feeding. And, you know, one or two people just to look at the tip, right? And I think, I don't think that leadership always understands the need for bodies. They want more tools. And I've seen that, you know, other analysts kind of saying the tools aren't going to do it. We need the people to properly care and feed the tools to give us that um, premium intel. Yeah, well, I I have to say, uh, I'm thankful you both trusted me to this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think I certainly learned a lot. And I, I suspect others listening to this episode will uh, gain some insight from two, two uh, awesome people. So Andy, Rebecca, thank you for first spurring this conversation in the community and then uh, bringing it to life here on ITSB Network. Great. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.